Hello there friends, this is Spencer Michelle, and today we're going to be talking about the new moon in the first decan of Scorpio, the new moon solar eclipse in the first decan of Scorpio. Uh, I am joined here today by my good friend Elodie Saint-Ange Abou. Spencer Michelle. Does that sound, did I get it correct? How did I do? In the first decan. You did, you did perfect. Okay, good. I've been yeah. practicing. I've been practicing. Thanks for having me. And yeah, thanks for giving a try on my family name. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, my uh, my Venus in Gemini loves to be able to pronounce things correctly. And, and the name has power and energy. And so I always love being able to do that. And we have a pretty uh, international crowd here, too. So it's always nice to be able to, like, try to meet people, um, you know, where they're at, you know. So LOD. Uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You have a really interesting story. Um, and I, I'm curious to hear more about how you came to astrology, some of the things that you've been up to and, and sort of the, the really interesting lifestyle that you lead as well. Um, well, astrology, I think was always part of my experience, you know, just being a teenager, um, into magical things and tarot and all of that. Um, I, I think I probably met you also through Nightlight Astrology. I started studying with Adam in 2014. So I've been practicing professionally, you know, for the last uh, while. Um, I live in Newfoundland, which is probably the part that <laughs> is the most intriguing to people. I met somebody from here 20 years ago, and then we bought a cabin and I relocated here, learned to speak English because I did not speak English. Wow. And uh, I always idolized self-sufficiency since, you know, that was as soon as I was a teenager, I was like, I want to live in a cabin in the woods, which is seems to be the dreams of everybody now. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I really idolized the self-sustaining lifestyle like a lot of us and, you know, pursued that in my early 20s and have been off grid for you know uh 20 years or so uh so it's hard for me to conceptualize being dependent you know on the system although i think we are all dependent sure. on the system because we are interconnected but yeah i do value just being able to uh supply my own water electricity and things like that yeah, it's. I think you're living the the twelfth house sun dream, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. We have another friend of the show. Um, her name is Shu Yap. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. No. She, she's she's a twelfth house sun uh, who lives in Australia off the grid. Okay. And she's been living the the twelfth house dream a little bit as well. So I I'm very envious with my twelfth house Cancer sun of of having that that space that self sufficiency. I'm I'm still kind of in the in a city a little bit here in the uh, business yeah yeah in the business exactly yeah um but uh but yeah i think that's really it's really fascinating and i've been been listening to some interviews that you've had recently you know chatting about that off-grid lifestyle and how as a community and as a society we've been kind of been thrust into this on all the time type of experience does that make sense yeah um i just before we even dive into any astrology i would just like to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on where we might be heading um, as a as a I don't know human community and how you've been dealing with those changes and and maybe some advice you might have for for friends in our audience here. Uh, that's a lot. That's a big tall order um, in terms of 
I do think that entering the air period where we've entered the air period for the next right. 200 years. So I do think we're, we might see a resurgence of like earth modalities that are more grounded as opposed to um, uh, extractive. You know how we've just like extracted metals and produced things. So I do think maybe because of this influx of internet and busyness and communication, maybe it will push people more towards um, experiences of nature. And I do already see that. I don't think it's just Uranus and Taurus. Yeah. Uh, so I do think people are seeking ways to ground themselves uh, as, a, as a balance to like this overwhelming busyness and fast pace of things. Because of artificial intelligence, I think our humanness and our body cannot keep up um, with the experience that we're having collectively yeah. with light, with being accessible all the time. I don't think it's necessarily just like a 12 house thing. I think like nature brings us back to a natural rhythm and we're so far removed from that rhythm when we're interacting with being on all the time. Yeah. Um, so I do think I'm hopeful for people returning to a less process uh, process way of eating and hopefully maybe I'm just idealistic but I do think that that's going to happen I see it people are interested in get, getting back to eating uh, unprocessed food and just this awareness around nature and the ecology and you're, a, you're a chef as well aren't you uh, yeah I was a cook for 20 years yeah. um, I cooked on remote bush camp location so not like a restaurant uh, chef but sure. Yeah, so I did. I, I uh, worked for reforestation company. So we would go on clear cuts, set up camp, people would plant trees, and I would feed the tree planters. So Very I did cool. that for a long time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of where we're heading, obviously, I do think there's a something with artificial intelligence and the internet that is gonna just accelerate things, and people are feeling very overwhelmed by that right now. Yeah, we, we've got some shifts happening with uh, Saturn's movement into Pisces and then Pluto moving into Aquarius simultaneously. I've, but that's going to bring some some interesting shifts uh, at, the, at what next year around the spring. Mm -hmm. I did want to ask you, though, living in Newfoundland, what's it like being able to see the sky unfiltered? I'm, I'm assuming there's a lot less light pollution there than in a place where I live, like in Michigan near Detroit. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, I live in the foggiest place oh, in oh North no. America. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> because no. The, the east coast of Newfoundland, which is the most easterly point of North America, we are really into the uh, northern Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. And it, it's actually the, the foggiest and windiest place. Wow. Okay. Uh, so I did can't come to the end of the world, completely uh, exiled and in the fog, very much so. But I do have the Sun-Saturn conjunction. Sure, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the unfiltered, uh, like the, there's no light pollution per se, but it's cloudy here. Oh, that's a bummer. Very it... often. <laughs> <laughs> I, I spent a little bit of time in the, the upper peninsula of Michigan a few years ago and... Mm -hmm. Just being able to see so much more of the sky was such a visceral experience. You know, it was it was very, it was healing in a lot of ways. You know, being able to connect on that level. So, yeah. Sometimes we have to live in those liminal spaces too, like the the Caden houses are those liminal right. spaces, right? Yeah. So, 
Okay. I do live at a crossroad. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I do. I do too. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Hecate is uh, is active at this location for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Elodie, I'm going to uh, shout out a few of our friends that are joining us here. Um, we've got Jody joining us from Southern Florida. Lynn is here from Vermont. Remco joining us from the Netherlands. Xtine is here from Florida. Tarya is stopping in from Finland. Um, Dimfi is here from the Netherlands. Pearl is joining from Nova Scotia. Okay, so another, another uh, Maritimer Canadian. There you go. Ex excellent. And she's saying that uh, they are saying that um, she they just finished your lecture at Astro uh, Magia. How, how was your okay. experience there? How did that go? Lo I loved it. It was my second year. It's a yeah. really well organized uh, conference, and it's I think it's expanding. Uh, yeah, JD does an excellent job at featuring like uh, a lot of varying various practitioners. So it's not just like it's all astrological magic, but yeah, it's a very very inclusive, very very well organized conference. Very I do cool. like participating. What was, what was the topic that you spoke on? I spoke. Uh, well, I've been researching lunar mentions for three years uh, related to. Um, the Greek magical papyri. So, you know, that's just a, a compilation of papyri from the Greco uh, Hellenistic time. Right. And there's a prayer to many, prayer to the moon, with a list of 28 animals. Wow. Which Jake Stratton can't, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but he's an occultist from um, England. Okay he made a connection that this list perhaps was linked to the 28 uh, lunar mansion. So we started investigating and yeah, so it's a, it's a big research project. We've lectured a lot. We have a website. Um, so that's what we were talking about basically. Nice. And are, yeah. are people able to access your talk mm -hmm. after the fact? Yeah, we will be posting it. We've only received the recording today, so we're posting it. Uh, that website is uh, lunarzodiac.com. And okay. we have previous lectures on sale there, too. Excellent. Yeah. And do you have anything coming up in the hopper that you'd like to to alert people to or what, I always know. do but I'm a sneaky Scorpio <laughs> oh, okay so you're so yeah let, so you're Scorpio Scorpio yeah, rising, rising right yeah. and uh do you want to share your other big big three with the audience here yeah so I'm Scorpio rising I have sun in Libra and moon in Taurus okay so deep down I'm just vanilla <laughs> <laughs> uh and I do have Mars rising which kind of concentrate a lot of the energy on the rising yeah. yeah yeah we were talking we share a a, a, a lunar decan right with the moon yeah. in the second mm -hmm. decan of taurus which i'm quite partial to that decan it seems like a pretty pretty nice energy right pretty sweet spot to be yeah, yeah. i like it <laughs> um okay so we can find you elodia at where can we find you and your your services so I have a website called uh, thenindhouse.com, I believe. Uh, I'm sure you will be putting the link. Yeah. Uh, but it also, if you just type, type my name, Elodie, with astrologer, a lot of information would come up because okay. I don't think just, yeah. And you do and consults as well? I do consults. I write horoscopes for Astrograph, monthly horoscopes, which is my main gig. Um, and yeah, I do consulting, I do mentoring, and I do a lot of lecturing in separate events like this, but I'm very 
fluid in my approach I think maybe with the moon and Taurus but I do have like an organic approach so I will do mostly what I feel like (laughs) instead of keeping a rigid structure with my practice oh that's great flexibility is I think really important in this work when we create oracular space for people exactly yeah and uh, yeah, I'm, you know, you and I actually, we, we go back a little bit. Like we, I think we originally met at the United Astrology Conference and I didn't, I didn't really realize it at the time how special that was, you know, in the quote unquote before times, you know, yeah. like sitting and breaking bread with some of the most, you know, learned astrologers in the world. I mean, you and I, we had dinner with Austin Kopic and, and Nicholas. I'm trying to remember his last name, but I really- Paul Minakos. Yeah, he's, yes. he's really great. Yeah. Um, and I believe was Chris Brennan was at that dinner too, right? Yeah. Like you're sitting at a table with these people and you're like, wow, this is <laughs> for me as a, as a brand new astrologer at that point, a brand new, like interested in pursuing it as a profession. That was just really quite an experience. Um, so I hope that we're able to get back to that kind of experience a little bit as me we, too. you know, yeah. move forward. Yeah. Okay, Elodie, I'm going to shout out a few more friends here that are stopping in. We've got another Tarya stopping in from Helsinki, Finland. Uh, We have Urania Universe. Portia uh, is here. Um, Welcome, Portia. Jules is joining us from Alberta. Kobabs is here. I believe that is Colette from Oregon. Uh, And then we have uh, Natalia is joining from Jerusalem. Wow. Israel. Very cool. Amazing. I, I just love that we have such a such a nice uh, international audience here. This is something that I really do hope to, to cultivate. And another friend joining us, X from Vancouver Island. I think um, we have a lot of Canadians in the in the chat often. I, I I'm just partial. posted the, the link also on my page. Nice. So hopefully a few friends. Yeah, my my grandmother was actually born in London, Ontario. So I I, I claim a little bit of Canadian in my background. You know, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's cool. Okay, so uh, just a few more business things before we dive in, LOD. I just want to give people a heads up that um, I do have a sale on my Libra Deccans webinar that I have posted in the store on my website. You can get 20% off of that recording until the end of Libra season, which is roughly around the 22nd. So you have about a week to save 20% on that and keep your eyes peeled for a 20% off sale on the Scorpio Deccans once Scorpio season begins. So that's really what I've got going on. I've been kind of doing a, an interesting book club with Demetra's book lately, uh, her Ancient Astrology Volume 2, which is a really awesome book. There's, I wanted to ask you, if you have you dived into this text at all? Uh, Demetra's text? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I tied my hands and kept <laughs> myself from ordering this book because I already have such a big library sure. to move through <laughs> yeah and there's yeah. a vitus balance anthology oh. that just came out and i'm yes. like what am i gonna do <laughs> right right i saw chris chris um chris brennan posted that he did some i believe editing and or yeah. forward in that book <laughs> yeah really cool so that's a great um heads up there led is that there's a new um edition of vetius valens that was translated by Mark, what is Mark's last name? Remind me. I can't remember. It starts with an R. (laughs) Yeah, Riley. That's Mark Riley, right? So Mark Riley had a translation of Valens that um, Chris Brennan used to really uh, reference quite a bit. And now there's a a version of it that you can buy that is like 
rebound and everything because before you'd have to get it like you'd have to print it off <laughs> like a pdf or something like i have that. it printed off and yeah. find it in the binder exactly. yeah so yeah so so check that out because you know valens is one of the the, the the most complete traditional astrology texts that we have and there's a lot of great nuggets in there and it's great to support people like like chris as well um okay so that's what I've got going on for the business things. Uh, friends, if you would like to support the work that we're doing here, the, the easiest thing you can do is hit the like button on this video to help with the algorithm. Um, if you're not subscribed to the channel, please do that. And also subscribe to the newsletter. If you'd like to make a material donation to the work that I do here, there's a little dollar sign in the chat. It's called a super chat or a super sticker. And that helps me keep the lights on. If you're watching this after the fact, I also receive donations at buymeacoffee.com. Okay, Elodie, how about we dive into this uh, eclipse here? Absolutely. Let's do it. So <clears throat> I wanted to ask, should we pull the chart up or should we get some big picture thoughts first? What do you think? Um, there's a lot to it. We can probably warm up with big picture thought, yeah. I think, because there's a lot of layers. Yeah, what do you think? What, what are you seeing as far as if you're pulling back from your, your 30,000 foot viewpoint? um well you know eclipses come in cycles so first of all this cycle you know began a little while while back so it's not an eclipse or you know eclipse come in pairs first of all and they also come in a year and a half cycle so we have to take that in consideration as a sort of process or context that we find ourselves in on the scorpio taurus axis and although we're going to be talking about Scorpio and Scorpio season and Scorpio eclipse, I do think that the um, polarity, you know, Scorpio Taurus axis is really important in considering uh, eclipses because we have the North and South node and they work together, not really in isolation, even in, in natal chart also. Right, right. So it's always a process of, I, I see the North node and South node where the eclipses happen as a sort of battery, Yeah. you know? So that's what I would say. How do you see the, this is something that I've always had a lot of um, musings on. How do you see a new moon eclipse that is conjoining the south node? Like a place where it would seem with the south node or K2 it being a place potentially of decrease. But mm -hmm. yet we have this initiating energy of a new moon. How do you reconcile that, that question in particular? Uh, I don't say that i reconciled it so much as i do a case by case depending on the chart you know depending on the moment so looking at what is happening again like the planet that rules that eclipse per se and all of that <clears throat> because we're talking about south node but we're already through a process with scorpio south node it has been there already for what what is it since like uh last november Mm -hmm. a little bit before so this process has already started and i think the purgative can you say that in english purgative sure. <laughs> purgation <laughs> yeah. uh like the cleansing process of the south node because the south node is associated with the process of spiritualization or saturation i think that's already started a while back and i'm starting to see the more positive manifestation of what the south node can do yeah so like a um a, a purgative would you say purgative as well? that's there that's the word i was looking yeah. <laughs> for purgative and you know the vedic astrologer actually considered k2 um as or 
maybe sometimes even more important than the Rahu, the North Node, right. uh, because it takes us away from the world of illusion, the samsara, the material reality, and shows us the inner working behind everything. So there's always a spiritual insight on that end. Right. I've been, I've been feeling like this eclipse, it, it, it reminds me of like the, the beginning of an ending, like a, a ritualized mourning or period of grief type of I love experience. That. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I wonder, you know, I, I love the fact that we're bringing in the, the, the spiritualization of the South Node, because a lot of times I think when, when, when I've seen with clients and, and whatnot is that when we have some South Node stuff, we tend to, material reality tends to, to, to leave the, yeah. the plane of existence. And that, you know, we've been trained in late stage capitalism that that's a really bad thing. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, so, so I think that it's, it's really fascinating to hear the, the, the Vedic perspective on it, um, where they actually are more interested in escaping that material reality by releasing that attachment to physical yes. reality. So th that to me is a really powerful part of this, this eclipse, um, big picture wise. Um, for those of you who don't know the, the Rahu K2 story, and, and feel, feel free to add this as well, like um, K2 was a, a, a demon, uh, the severed head of a demon, right, that was trying to um, consume the elixir of immortality, right? And because that was kind of a no-no, like there was another deity that kind of severed his head, and then there's kind of this hungry, this hungry ghost that it, it never is able to be satiated on some level, potentially. Whereas Rahu is the body that is processing sort of like the, I don't know, if we want to be crass about it, it's kind of like a shitting dragon. That's like, all right, I'm going to like shit all this crap out like on some level. Um, do you have any other thoughts about how those two interact with one another and, and mm -hmm. your understanding yeah. of it? Yeah. So like from a person, when I deal with eclipses delineation, if I'm dealing for, with a client, I always look at their personal relationship in their natal chart uh, with the nodes. And that's going to give you a lot of information as to how things might translate for you, how you're going to experience the eclipse, uh, just your personal sort of relationship with Rahu and Ketu. I right. do think they work together, um, but the head is often, you know, Rahu, the head of the dragon, the North Node is often delineated as a little bit of like an insane kind of hunger that that is neurotic almost it's compulsive and i always use the word compelling i'm compelled to do this i feel compelled to do this we're compelled to participate in material reality and we're compelled by our desires and that's all the realm of of rahu but not getting what we want is also what not like saturn so much but a little bit similar in a sense it's what refines us and refines our mm -hmm. desires so, you know, there's like an interplay between desire and not having not having what you want being sort of the silver lining and the the clarification process that we need to really actually get into a uh, more authentic expression of what we want. Does that make sense? Totally. totally. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's a word in there that I'm kind of grabbing onto here. Um, Desire. I think that that was a, something that really came up in research around the first decade of Scorpio, 
um, and maybe even a difficulty f having those desires fulfilled, right? Uh, you know, in Austin's book, he talks about uh, a diamond or spirit with this deck in the nymphi, those objects of desire. And there's just some really interesting literature about the Pleiades and they're like being chased by Orion. And then like the scorpion is part of that story where the scorpion was sent um, by Artemis to ba basically kill Orion because he, you know, was boasting about destroying all of her wonderful creatures on some level, right? So I think that that's another kind of thing I've been kind of grabbing onto with this eclipse is that there may be something that we want that may be difficult getting fulfilled or having an awareness of our desires and our things that eventually may we may find aren't necessarily the most healthy for us. My, my experience, and, and I want to get your feedback on this, my experience of Scorpio, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, is that it's uh, because it's Mars ruled. To me, Mars is the 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 defender of the instinctual defender of life force, right? Yep. And, and so. so if we have Mars as a severing and separating energy in Aries, it's severing and separating from the collective to be infused into a body, maybe as the transition goes from Aries to, to Taurus in Scorpio to me, we're, I think it's the opposite. We're severing from the body to liberate some kind of spiritual essence to be infused into kind of some new sense of purpose potentially as we move forward. Has that been your experience of living Scorpio and what maybe what types of experiences have shaped your character around that particular experience potentially? Yeah, that's interesting comparing the Mars placement. I do think obviously the sign of Scorpio is informed by its ruler, Mars, because it's the night ruler. We're talking about things that are not visible you know, yeah. um, and often desire and our desires, I think, are very profound and they actually have a lot of say, but we try to rationalize right. our experience and rationalize our desires. I always say there's something very unconscious about Scorpio placement. Although if you look at the delineation in pop astrology, they will say Scorpio understands everything. It's like an X-ray vision. It can understand the psychology of people very easily or of the psychology of a room and the dynamic. There's something about the own motivation of Scorpio. And that's what I notice in general that is so profoundly visceral and intuitive that it's not accessible with rash our rational mind. It's, yeah. It's in the realm of the, the visceral. The, I sometimes compare Mars to the root chakra, survival instinct. And yes. our survival instinct has its own agenda outside of what you're trying to do in society. Yeah, it's, it's not always conscious, is it? It's not. Yeah, that, that's, go ahead. Yeah, it will be in retrospect often with the Scorpio energy that you'll be like, oh, this is why that happened. This is why I was acting like that. This is why I did that. Right. There's there's a real understanding of psychology, but I do find that in the moment, the guiding principle, the impulse, the pulsion, the desire that really informs are really obscured to, there's a its own rational, which is more of an animalistic right. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, that's something I think to be aware of with this eclipse is that 
you know, it, it is probably tapping into our deepest survival instincts on some level where we may not even be completely aware of what narrative is functioning behind the surface of our mm -hmm. emotions, of our actions, of our feelings. And I think that um, that's something that, that really came up with Mars research that I've been doing. Because think about it like this. We've got Mars as part of the lunar sect, right? It is, it is part of that instinctual realm of, of 2K, of fortune, that is operating below the surface rather than in the light of awareness that would maybe be associated with the solar sect, right? Yep. Okay. And uh, I just want to mention also that there's yeah. something about defensiveness with the, the Mars and Scorpio is more about protection and defensiveness. So I do think that because it is such an all-consuming sort of realm, the realm of your viscera, yeah. <laughs> the realm of your real, um, I don't know, like your animal self, that it's very protected and guarded. So I think that's one of the other reason why it's not easily accessible. Sure. Yeah, I like I like the um, the thought process around it being d defensive rather than maybe a proactive Offensive. Mars. Yeah. Yeah. Because that Aries Mars seems to be like I would love to go and conquer something. Right. It is very active and young. Yeah. But Scorpio definitely seems like it's like all right. I'm just gonna be lurking in the shadows, but. If you mess with me, <laughs> like, that's what it's on, right? It's the relationship to yeah. power. Yeah. Mars is our relationship to power. And I always say that there's Mars issues in our society because we are not in relation with our power. A lot of right. people are not in relationship with their power. We don't yeah. have the catharsis. We need catharsis and we need experience that really brings us back into a sort of clear channel but because we're constantly building on superficial layer, mm. I find a lot of people have issues with Mars, either sexuality or expressing anger or confrontation or being direct. Right, right. <clears throat> well, and we're not getting any help from Mars right now uh, in no. the sign of Gemini. <laughs> like, right? uh, directness is not super supported with this particular Mars. Let's, let's pull the chart up here and start yeah. breaking this down. Really enjoying your thoughts here, LED. Um, I was excited to have you on as a guest. I always have thought you were a very intelligent and well-read uh, uh, astrologer and someone who um, has really done good work over the last few years here. Thank you. Um, hold on a second. Speaking of Mars defending, uh, we are just doing a little bit of housekeeping here. Okay, so LOD, we've got... I've got up on the chart here. Sorry, I had your your <laughs> chart up here too. So now, <laughs> like, I, I, the moon I, the moon is in Leo right now. <laughs> right there it goes. That was not intentional. I'm sorry about that. Um, so sorry, we're just getting a little we're getting spammed a little bit uh, here in the chat. And since this is a safe space, um, we don't allow that type of thing here. Holy cow. So maybe this is our little uh, scorpionic, you know, inaction. Are we under attack? I think so. I think we might be <laughs> a little bit. Holy cow. That's the thing, though. With Mars, we're always under attack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we are. So I think that we've, we've gotten that. 
um, hopefully, hopefully that is uh, <laughs> purified our our channels channel a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So let's refocus here. Sorry, friends. We're just dealing with a little housekeeping here. Um. So we're looking at October the twenty fifth, twenty the twenty two. 6.48 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I learned for the first time this week that Newfoundland has <laughs> a half-hour difference. <laughs> like, that's right. Oh, my goodness. That's <laughs> as if it wasn't challenging enough, but that that's cool. Um, yeah. So this would be, uh, oh, my God, math is troubling. So this would be somewhere Eight, around. 8.10, I think. 8.10 Newfoundland yeah. Time. That's right. Here. Uh, so let's... Uh, We'll make that adjustment. We've got the moon and the sun coming together at about two degrees of Scorpio. And we have the south node at 13 degrees. Um, we are looking at uh, Venus also playing a part in this eclipse, being having just recently been Kazemi at 29 degrees of Libra. Uh, about a, a day or so, a couple days earlier than that, and then moving into Scorpio. Um, and Mars is hosting. Now, this is to, to me, this is one of the more interesting parts of this is that we've got Mars in Gemini in the third decan of Gemini hosting this eclipse, but it's in a version. So what, what do you think about Mars as host, Venus as playing, what role Venus is playing, um, and how those two things are going to be playing out? very difficult to synthesize i do think that mars and gemini uh has been very uh stuttering uh if only because there is so many potential avenues um it's really hard to i have found the astrology of late october and the fall very hard to synthesize because i do think there's a lot of different threads going on and it's part of a larger context, which is, I think, Pluto um, leaving Capricorn, you know, the end of, of, of cycles and really us entering the air period. I do think there's kind of like this primer. I think Mars and Gemini may be serving as primer for this very, this influx of air. And I actually really like what Mars has been doing in conversation with Libra and Saturn okay. in the last month. Uh, but in terms of, you know, how it serves the Scorpio um, eclipse, because it rules it, <sighs> it's, yeah, it's, um, again, when we're talking about the realm of visceral, it's not straightforward. It's like there is compulsion to um, release certain desire or release certain I would I involve Venus in this solar eclipse because Venus is a big part of it. Yeah. So there's something about desire and pur purging uh, old ways of being. Yes. But yes. Mars is uh, complexifying that process. I do think. Yeah, I th yeah, I think that um, I agree that Venus is. First of all, I mean, Venus is not super comfortable in, in Scorpio. So we will put, put that out there, Venus being in her exile. Um, and my experience of Venus in a house of Mars is that generally Venus 
in in my experience functions well when we are receptive and we let things come to us and when we have venus in a martial house it seems like we may create problems for ourselves through the pursuit of something rather than um, allowing it to come to us would you would you say that that is a, a i love that perspective yeah. i i do think it's yeah again venus and scorpio is very complex placement and we always have to be careful when speaking of planets in detriment or fall as astrologers because it just describes a condition it does not necessarily describe if it's good or bad Definitely. um and the venus and scorpio uh people that i know or how it shows there's actually um you know the the venus principle is there but i do like what you're pointing out it's true that there's there might be something more about the pursuit instead of the receptivity right and and if we look at mars and what it's pursuing you know it, to me gemini is that place where we're expanding options you know where it is proliferation of options yes. it's that bee that's pollinating all of the different flowers and um but to me i think mars's uh role in gemini is maybe potentially eliminating some of those imagined pathways Mm -mm. right saying well we can kind of get some uh we can explore a little bit and but eventually to to make a choice I'm, I'm reminded of that castor and pollux myth where one of the twins has to give up some of his immortality to be able to share you know olympus with his brother and to me that requires sacrifice right there's some kind of sacrifice involved with that um i've been counseling folks you know this is something that came up in both T. Susan Chang's work, 36 Secrets, and Austin Kopic's 36 Faces, is they both talk about the third decan of, of Gemini being a place where, because it's a solar decan, where the choices become very contrasted. Like there's sort of a black and white energy where you might want to, to, to uh, Austin calls it the executioner's sword. So it, it's kind of this energy where you may make an ultimatum or some kind of choice that is very, that doesn't necessarily allow for ambiguity. And I've been kind of counseling people maybe to hold off on that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Because um, Mars is going to be um, stationing retrograde a few days after this, this eclipse. And if you do make some kind of ultimatum, you might find that you have to backtrack on it. And that could cause a lot more problems or embarrassment or humbling. I um, agree with you. Yeah, right. Is that is that that's Absolutely. coming up for you? I think you're. Yeah, I think you're right on. And this ambiguity. Um, that's what I appreciate about the air, um, the air influx that we had at the beginning of September. But I I did find that a lot of people, a lot of clients, a lot of friends around me are not able to sit with that ambiguity of not mm. being able to choose. There's like there's many options. And it's not necessarily about making a choice right now, although Mars is looking for, for that direction, you know, right, right. We, we're looking for that clear channel, but it's not, it's, it's more complex than that I do. And I like that. I feel like a silver lining to this too would be Mars's, I think Mars's role is potentially in eliminating distractions on some level. Um, I feel like sometimes Gemini can be a place where we can fall prey to, to distraction. And I know for me personally, I've had lots of different 
distractions that have come up in the past few weeks with Mars and Gemini. And it takes a lot of like real action and discipline to, to say, well, I'm not going to worry about that right now. And, it, and we're heading into, oh boy, we're heading into election season in the United States. And that's the ultimate like distraction as far as, you know, the, the, the volume of rhetoric, information, and yeah. information, rhetoric, uh, people using words as weapons is something that I think that we're seeing increasing around this period of time. And to me, that's very stressful, but um, <laughs> tell, tell me, <laughs> Elodie, tell me how we can utilize this energy in a healthy way. How can we utilize what Mars is asking us to do in a way that can be supportive of our nervous system rather than a detriment to it. I think you said it perfectly. I think eliminating distraction is exactly on point. I've been yeah. doing that intuitively um, because we see Mars stationing retrograde around that eclipse. And it's also in a square with Neptune applying, which already yeah. happened once. And I do associate Neptune with uh, the media very yeah. often and Mars in this like uh, mercurial sign. So we can see that uh, and we we are constantly plugged in. So uh, eliminating distraction is probably one of the best possible ways of navigating the next uh, few months. Uh, I do think that's right on, especially as we are trying with the Scorpio eclipse, it's bringing a sort of, um, you know, per purging process, a refining process in terms of desires, but how do you do that if you're pulled in like a hundred million direction? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, just a practical example of this. I, I have a um, 140 year old house that we recently purchased uh, earlier this year and it's connected with these eclipses, right? We purchased yeah. it around the eclipse and we're dealing with some, some challenges trying to maintain it. And, uh, there's an attic and a basement that's full of junk that needs to be purged and we've just had a real uh, i guess a devil of a time like trying to f to actually find the time to do it yeah <laughs> saying like it's we want to purge but everything is pulling us in a million different directions and actually having the the necessary presence to do that has been it, it's felt like an uphill climb on some level right yeah, and again, I do think in the end that Mars is doing the Saturn and Aquarius agenda. So I do think this whole process that we're moving through eventually uh, will be an, a refining process. But when we're looking at the Scorpio-Taurus angle, they're re really um, embodied and felt axis, you know? Yeah. So... Uh, in terms of like wanting to get stuff done, wanting to clear your house and then having to sit with the ambiguity of being surrounded with stuff and not being able to move or be efficient with that yeah. is about becoming present again in your experience as opposed to uh, like just on the goal or something. And I think I naturally kind of have been reinstating every day I'm focusing on what i'm doing you know i'm i'm literally it's a it's a mindfulness exercise and the better you are at mindfulness and at returning to the present and your actual reality and not three steps down the better you will be at juggling because it's it's a jug it's a juggling act for most people right now they're juggling a lot of in different 
parts of reality that do not necessarily synthesize together or come together, you know? Absolutely. And and I'll say that, that Mars is doing a number on my, my um, Virgo stellium. I have a Virgo stellium and it's mm. <laughs> like mm. the efficiency question has been very, very challenging. I will say in, in regards to that, I always pull a tarot card of the day and today I got the four of swords, which I think oh. is a great energy that is complementary to what we're speaking to around Mars is um, being able to collect our thoughts and be able to maybe maybe through the process of meditation quiet the mind um, i had a really difficult day yesterday with just a lot of you know there was some things in our community actually that was going around that was a little disturbing um there's there's some st i don't know i'm not gonna even touch on it here but there was some some folks in the astrological community that had been acting um out of integrity and it was it's it's frustrating when you see that um especially because it's it's difficult enough to to have people respect the work that we do and when there are certain folks out there that are um using it for their own profiteering and advantage it's it's very frustrating as an astrologer mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah um, there's a lot of that going on in all uh walks of life i think but absolutely. especially if you're investing time and energy on the internet you have to right. be ready to just have it <laughs> yeah yeah so, so well and i i it was nice to get that message from from the cards to be like you know quiet your mind down there's you don't have to figure all this out all the time and like i think that's good advice with this mars too so elodie coming back to the tarot i wanted to talk a little bit about the tarot syncretization that we have with this eclipse uh, and here we see the, the five of cups and i'm gonna i'm actually gonna stop my share for a minute because i'd like people to be able to see this so this is a card where we see a figure who is cloaked in black. Um, they have their head down in a, a pose that could be so maybe described as mourning or grief. There are three spilled cups in front and two upright cups behind. Um, what, are, what is your experience of this card, this energy? What, what is the message that you're getting from this particular card in the, in the tarot, in this Deccan? Hmm, that's a good question. I... I don't work with the tarot that much. Um, and I'm also a very cynical person, I think, because of this situation sure. that just keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, yeah, there's definitely something about grief or loss in terms of like not getting what you want. That is a close experience to me. I don't know that so much just Scorpionic as like also being Saturn ruled. Sure. But I definitely, I was talking with another Scorpio rising friend um, and we were talking about things that appease us, mm -hmm. that helps us make decisions. Yeah. And we both always say, if I die tomorrow, what is it that I would do right now? There's this real awareness of like uh, the precarity of things. Sure, sure you know, kind of raging against the dying of the light on some level, right? Like, but not even raging. It's it's yeah. just kind of a lucidity, I would say. Yeah, an awareness of the impending, the impending winter, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in the sequence of the Zodiac, yeah, there's something about loss that is just kind of inherent, but it's very integrated, I think, in Scorpio. And that's why we, we get the pop astrology meme of like Scorpio being goth or whatever, sure, <laughs> you know? Sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this. This is pointing out to me that I that this eclipse may be associated with 
a ritualized grief or a ritualized mourning potentially. Um, I've been having thoughts and intuitions with this card that maybe we will be going through some collective grief or some collective mourning potentially. Um, I always think about this card as making sure that we take the time to acknowledge what we've lost. I think this is something that I've heard our, our, our teacher Adam talk about is oftentimes we want to um, whitewash you know, something that's difficult or, or our feelings of loss and move on to the, the transformative experience. And I think sometimes it's okay to sit with the feelings of grief and to acknowledge them, to have a good cathartic cry, to have like an ugly cry or to have like a, just something where you're actually allowing yourself to feel that uh, sense of loss on some level. Um, so think about it in that regard. Um, I think that the other message I usually give with this deck in is that there is something about loss that can help us to feel gratitude for the things that remain on some level. Um, as a Scorpio rising, have, has your experience of loss helped you um, experience that its opposite with, with gratitude in that level? Oh, definitely. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a mode for me, for sure. I'm just in that mode. Absolutely. At every, you know, it's very rare that I'm, uh, it might be more complex than that, but it's very rare that I'm not, uh, I want to be in full potential. There's something about being in full potential. And that's also involves being in full, the full experience of the negative, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of people are really afraid of going into uh, the more intense uh, negative emotions with others or even just like acknowledging. And I do think Scorpio really actually, it's kind of their expertise, you know, <laughs> yeah. to be going straight for the, the most, uh, yeah, truth and the truth about, yeah, how things that can be difficult. Have you found, my, my experience with my Scorpio friends, rising, sun, moon, otherwise, is that they happen to be some of the most reliable folks when a crisis hits. Have yeah. you found yourself playing that role for either in your own life or for people in your life, being sort of almost like a crisis manager? I seek crisis. Okay, okay. <laughs> right. I'm just going to be very honest. Uh, yeah. I do seek crisis and it's a very unconscious thing. Uh, but I, and I'm saying that in like the best possible way. Um, sure. <clears throat> because there's something again, very visceral about intensity and stuff. And because I have a moon in Taurus, I can see that part of myself more clearly because I do value stability and peace and groundedness also. Right. But for example, I, I was cooking uh, on bush camps, very isolated, uh, dealing with grizzly bears in my kitchen, breaking in, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. sleeping in, sleeping in my tent because the whole season of cooking would be, you know, in the, in the woods, very isolated. Right. And I would hear like rummage during the night and I would know it's the bears. And if nobody, like, if I don't deal with my kitchen, nobody will. So just this experience of real, um, yeah, these, I do think there's something about just meeting intensity 
head on. There's something very potent about that. And that's again, Mars and power and feeling your power and really feeling your power is being in survival mode. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's, there's something about, you know, when I say seeking crisis or intensity, where does this need to live really everything like, uh, just a little threshold, a little bit higher. <laughs> yeah. So, so if we have some heightened emotional feelings, how do you stay grounded during those periods of, of crisis when you're seeking them out? How do you stay centered while you're going through those challenges? Uh, well, nature for me helps a lot. I do yeah. think nature, but I do think also, uh, accepting the the experience so i don't know necessarily that i stay grounded actually yeah and that's something that is scary for a lot of people this sort of uh just like being fully in the experience that's why i was saying again people have mars issues not wanting to be in anger or not wanting to be completely in the experience so in terms of staying grounded with intense experience again is an exercise in mindfulness it's about being present with the experience not not trying to stop the experience yeah presence i think is a good definitely <laughs> a good, as, you, as am a, i am i as, scaring you <laughs> so i'm getting distracted by the, the all the challenges going on in the chat here i'm like oh okay. I, i'm practicing presence um i just i wanted to reach out to all of you in the chat and thank you for all these wonderful comments we you know you you all have so many wonderful thoughts and contributions here i'm sorry i'm not getting to everything here today, uh, we're, we're just, Elodie and I are, are just diving into the depths of the scorpionic waters. I did want to shout out, Rachel, thank you so much for your donation. I really appreciate that. Um, and thank you all of you for, for being here today and your patience with the chat too. We're just having some, uh, we're having to defend the chat against uh, the, the, the modern equivalent of a dragon, I guess, in, in a, a spammer. So, Perfectly, Mars like, and Gemini also demonstration. Right, totally. <laughs> like the trickster, the trickster attack. Yeah. Um, so, LOD, we're going to have Mars stationing retrograde on the 30th of October, and that's going to be stationing retrograde until about the 12th of January and turning direct at about eight degrees of Gemini. Um, there's another condition that I'm curious if you have thoughts on or experience with, and it's that Mars is going to be moving out of bounds at a similar period of time for, let me check, checks his notes here for seven months. <laughs> like, um, what do you think about that? Out of bounds being Mars when it is outside of the normal um, declination path of the sun. Whew. Uh, well, I do think in general, and I mean, the opposite might be true, but I do think in general, Mars retrograde actually accentuates the Mars a lot more. People get impatient, irritated, wanting to, you know, and I do think the out of bound just adds like a very um, uh, hard to predict element. Right. Um, and I've seen a lot of astrologers having a hard time actually delineating, you know, because there is such a um, ambiguous already an ambiguity with Gemini, it's two side, it's this and it's opposite, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a spicy Mars. And, and I feel like it's a wild card, right? Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's something where Mars 
is not performing under the social expectations that we normally, the boundaries that normally keep it quote unquote in line. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that could lead to some really, really difficult experiences, especially with, you know, our, our communication. Um, I guess my advice on that would be very, be, think twice before speaking. And, you know, because I think that there may be something I, I experienced the planets as these, uh, and this is, this is by no means some huge original thought, but it's, it's like these influ they're, they're influences. I feel like, oh, well, I can, I'm influenced by this and sometimes I can use the power of my choice and awareness and clarity to make a different choice in the moment. Sometimes it's just faded and we're just going to go deal with it. But I think if there is any pranoia or um, forethought, um, maybe try to, the, the value of astrology is being able to think in the moment, hey, wow, uh, <laughs> maybe I should consider the ramifications of my words or my communications potentially before and how that might create conflict or challenges that are, would be very hard to come back from. Um, I just, again, I, I think I'll, you know, hammer the point home that I think it's really important not to make all or nothing ultimatums and th threats. You know, I think threats are a really bad thing to make around this period of time because Mars is going to be making, you know, extra, extra juice <laughs> behind it potentially. Right. Yep. Yeah. I agree. And I always, you know, when I started learning more about my own birth chart and really getting into the fact that I have Mars with my ascendant and, you know, framing my experience through Mars, um, and the more I progress with my knowledge of astrology, the more my relationship to the present and Mars and difficulty is very martial in a sense that it's like, um, I imagine myself uh, always in combat to a certain extent with reality. And there is the peace of the warrior, you know how they say like a real martial artist will never have to actually act. Right. Um, so what you're saying about like thinking twice or whatever, basically how I approach, you know, seeing these transits to people have to exist, like things happen. Right. It's not we can't control things outside of ourselves. So even if you're aware of the astrology and, you know, putting yourself on a, you know, <laughs> time out or something, people are still coming at you. Circumstances are still going to come at you and you still have to contend with the experience right. um but again there's something about flexibility and being present with the moment in a sense so that you can best possibly meet what is being presented um mm -hmm. and there's a so much of that right now because of the scattering influence of gemini and just like just like how you have to deal with the chat right now as we're talking and you're maneuvering a lot of different <laughs> things but this is what mars and gemini has been doing to everybody right. on a lot of fronts you know like this morning my internet was not working so I went somewhere else the internet was not working I knew that I had to meet with you and I was just yeah. like stay cool it's gonna happen be in the flow and that's the mutable too just yeah. like the more you're trusting the flow and the experience the more you can synchronize with it uh, and then the more you resist it the more you procrastinate or become flustered and anxious and scattered so <laughs> I really appreciate your resilience today because, you know, these are great thoughts that you're sharing with our 
community here. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you were able to take the next step when you were presented with the challenge. And that, that to me is, I think, a, a great example of the types of experiences that we may be faced with around this period of time is how can we um, pivot when the first, the first thing doesn't work? You know, how can we move forward into trying to find a solution that can make the best possible outcome? Um, okay, so I'm looking at the chat here, and thank you, uh, my good friend from the Netherlands is helping me moderate now. So we've got uh, some Two eyes. Swords. <laughs> we've got, Two yeah, swords. We've, we've got some eyes on, <laughs> on, on it now, so that's good. Uh, our, our good friend Janet Goodspeed is here too, a wonderful maker of um, talismanic jewelry, uh, saying that uh, I watched Elodie's Astromagia talk last night on the 28 Shapes, and it was so cool. Glad I can catch her here today on my favorite channel. Well, thank you, nice. Janet. And I'm glad that you were able to catch Elodie's um, talk as well. Uh, June is joining us from Maui as well, which is very cool. Thank you for all your all of you that are joining us today. Welcome Kate and Water Trine Muse and Stephen the Jupiterian. <laughs> it's always fun to see folks out there in the audience. Okay, so Elodie, we've talked about the eclipse. We've talked about Mars and Gemini, the third decan of Gemini, like which maybe is the last decan, right, before the solstice, the, the summer solstice, where we have a, a change of direction. And to me, I, I see all of those last decans before the solstice as some kind of sacrifice that we need to make, right? We've got like the Ten of Wands last decan before the winter solstice as we're trying to carry all the bundle of sticks to the finish line so we can get to the point where the sun will will rise in the sky again and the light will return. Um, when we are looking at the rest of our astrological part here, let me see, let me think, I'm looking down my list here. Anything else that's coming coming to you about this eclipse that, that you think that our group here should know? Um, well, like I was saying earlier, the fact that Venus uh, is involved in this eclipse, so it's a new moon in Scorpio, can join with Venus, but you know, um, being eclipse, being a solar eclipse, so there is a strong relational, uh, strong relationship to Venus with mm -hmm. this this moment in time, which Venus relates to self worth, values, you know, um, what we're attracted to, the kind of relationship we want. Um, so I do think there's this whole pur purging process of old ways of being with that Venus because she's just finishing an important cycle. Um, there's the whole cycle of Venus that's involved with this eclipse. So I, it makes it very relational or desire based even more so because of the involvement with Venus. Right, right. But it's like in order to get with the program of your new desires or your new relationship to yourself, to your sense of self-worth, to money, you're going to need to deal with what Mars and Gemini is bringing, which means you're going to need to deal with your to-do list and a lot, a lot of things before you can get to that kind of next chapter absolutely um and jupiter interestingly is sitting on the zero like that's a very important place for jupiter to be i think also indicative of something that might kind of resolves itself in the spring that's how i've been reading it okay uh because it's at the zero uh, equinox point uh the beginning of the zodiac it's a very 
pivotal place for Jupiter and Jupiter's retrograding Mars, which ruled that Jupiter stationing retrograde. So we can see that once these planets starts moving again, it'll, it brings us to mid-March. Right, right. So in terms of time frame, that's how I frame it for, for myself, you know? So the, the events that we're experiencing at this particular eclipse you feel are going to be connected with that time period in mid-March and might take that time to take that out. time to okay. play out. That's instead of being hard on yourself and feeling right. inefficient, because I think Mars retrograde in Gemini and even this moment in time is making people feel things are going very fast. I can't keep up. You know, what can I do? How can I adjust? And there's this feeling of maybe not being efficient enough. But giving yourself permission to see a longer time period to accomplish like all of your goals that you're setting out to do instead of pressuring you to doing it all like before the end of the year or something, you know? I love that. Yeah, because I think that one of the things that I've often felt in living in, you know, North America is that we have a real difficulty um, slowing down uh, at this time of the year when our bodies the amount of light, the darkness is asking us to kind of go internal and to slow down and not necessarily have to be quote unquote as productive as, you know, society wants us to be. And that's always been a real challenge and a, a disconnect for me. And I, I like that you're telling folks that, hey, maybe we don't have to get every single thing accomplished, quote unquote. Um, before before the spring, right? Because it's supposed to be a period of, of rest, right? Yeah, and just looking at the astrology, that's the way it makes sense to me. That's how I've framed my sort of personal timeline in terms of what I'm wanting to accomplish because there is a lot of unknown factor coming at me yeah. because there is a lot of still obstruction. You know, the process of Saturn and Aquarius is on its, its finishing. Saturn's going to be entering Pisces at the same time. In, so it seems to be sort of like we're finishing things, we're tying up loose end. We want to initiate a new, a lot of new things that I think is symbolized by Venus, you know, uh, disappearing at the end of a cycle, burning off, being eclipsed, all of this sort of uh, release of like old ways of being or old desires or old value system and all of that. But it's not instantaneous. And we have this real experience of instantaneous because of the internet we're just plugging in it's always happening everybody's successful online everybody's always on vacation everybody's yeah. always hustling there's always money to be made so there's this impression that as soon as you're connecting with the internet realm and people and all the online experience that it's just like always happening so it makes you feel a lot more inefficient <laughs> as yeah. a human i agree i i, I think it is it's very difficult to unplug with the with the way that we have our our reliance on the internet and and those tools and it is you know i heard you chatting with cassandra tyndall about this a few weeks ago potentially um how it's maybe even reshaping the the the, the species on some level right the, the evolution of the species right? yeah that was Eriana. Uh, um, in Florida um, yeah. podcast, yeah, that I did a little while ago, but our eyes are seeing light. When we're, we're looking, our body, when we look at our screen, our body just thinks it's daytime. Yeah. 
And even though we know that we shouldn't be bringing screen to bed or we should wait an hour before bed and like to unplug and stuff, the compulsion <laughs> is very strong and we're social creature and we have like, uh, we actually have communities online of people. It fulfills something for us and the platforms are engineered to keep us on. Uh, so it's not just like all bad, but I think, yeah, it's a turning point for humans in terms of like our whole physiology for sure. Yeah. And I think that the, what I was hearing when you were speaking earlier too, is that we're having a lot of difficulty with the concept of delayed gratification, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> this is, yeah. this is something that my Taurus rising dad taught me <laughs> like, he, he just hammered that point home the <clears throat> delayed gratification and i think that we in our instantaneous world that we have in our instant gratification society that we're moving towards that that concept which by the way i think is part of nature it's the the, the, the internet is sort of unnatural on some level isn't it like and how do we make adjustments to that when we are creatures of nature um, and we're faced with this very unnatural new organism in our in our consciousness. I do feel like it is an organism on some level. Um, it has its own life. It is. It has its own growth. And um, I'm not sure it's a good organism. <laughs> I mean, there's some good. I'm gonna parts say, of it. yeah. yeah uh, but the, there is. So there's something parallel happening with our interconnectedness. And that's how, again, just bringing a silver lining on a different sort of, you know, uh, perspective is that we're all interrelated. Right. Nature is all interrelated. If you start thinking about particles and matter, really, there's nothing that separates us. And I do think that Internet is mirroring this and instance of synchronicity or telepathy and stuff like that is happening a lot more between people because of this instant, we're able to message each other across the globe at any moment. So, you know, if I have a dream about you, I can text you in the morning and be like, hey, I dream about you, you were doing this and this. And then you're like, oh, that's weird. That's what I'm doing. Um, we have this instant feedback with each other that allows us to actually see the inherent connectedness that we have. Um, and that might be too far out. But I do think like humans used, uh, you know, remote viewing, telepathy um, and different modes of connecting with each other before for hunting, for, for um, sure. situating where maybe other people were in the landscape. We're doing that with the Internet to a certain extent. And that's how I like to see it. I like to just imagine it as this, as this sort of interconnectedness of our which is inherent between all of us, you know, it's an externalization of that. Yes, that, exactly. That, yeah. 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 And, and, you know, and I guess if I back backtrack a little bit off of my previous statement, the internet is a tool and right tools can be, uh, they are, you know, neutral potentially, right? Like a knife can be used to cook food yeah. and it can be used to, to kill someone or hurt someone. So I think that, how do we learn responsible use of the tools that we have? Because there are some beautiful things about the internet. Look at what we're doing here today. We're connecting yep. over thousands of miles with, with people all over the globe. So, and that should be acknowledged too. And I guess we get to choose how we both consume this, you know, I don't know, 
I guess I hate the word content, but how we consume our or utilize our time on the internet as a tool, what we put into it, um, and what we take out of it, right? And I think that again, I think it comes back to having healthy boundaries, doesn't it? Isn't this what Saturn is trying to tell us? Because here, here's what we, one other thing I wanted to kind of look at in this chart is we have this sort of uh, giving over of Saturn and its retrograde to Mars retrograde here. So Saturn it has not been, um, has been moving backwards and now it turns direct on the 23rd and then a few days later, Mars takes over and goes retrograde. My experience of Saturn retrograde and I'd love to hear your experience too, is that our boundaries are, are become a little bit more permeable when Saturn is retrograde. And the, the previous, like maybe maturations or limits or boundaries don't necessarily function as well when Saturn is retrograde. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I was very thankful for Saturn <laughs> because yeah. it's been on my case. Okay. Um, so the, the retrograde, yeah, absolutely. I felt like it was like, ooh, <laughs> pressure yeah. up. Um, as most astrologer, I love Saturn and I love the process of Saturn uh, because it's always clarifying. So the retrograde yeah. kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off. And I do think that when it stations direct again, um, all the work that has been needed in terms of boundaries uh, kicks in, mm -hmm. but it, it was already there. We're already in this process. Like Saturn has been squaring and opposing everything in my chart. And at the beginning it felt very, very constricting. Yeah. And now it feels liberating because I'm transcending these issues, you know? Yeah. So yeah. So Saturn, well, I mean, and we've had this, this uh, Saturn grinding in this square between Uranus and Saturn for a few years now. Yeah. And we, we almost had another one uh, perfect, but then I believe that there's a, a, tr a traditional technique called reformation where it, one of the planets turns, turns around and the aspect doesn't perfect. So I think that there's this tension we've been feeling between limits, boundaries, uh, tradition, and, you know, shaking up our routines and our, our how we utilize our resources. And this might be, um, hopefully, maybe this tension starts to uh, abate a little bit as we move forward throughout these next months. Um, the other thing I was looking at here too, Elodie, is that around the same time that Mars is retrograding, Jupiter is, is backtracking back into Pisces. How yeah. do you see that? Uh, playing out in the narrative of our eclipse season? So Jupiter was here just before the beginning of eclipse season this spring. Mm -hmm. So I do think it ties in a lot of things that were germinating um, at the beginning of the year that seemed promising, but didn't fertilize or didn't come through mm -hmm. yet. I do think that at the end of the year could bring sort of an unfolding of the promises that Jupiter may have you know shimmered because the eclipse in Taurus that happened in May I don't know if you remember but it was really juiced up with Jupiter Neptune Venus we were looking at this as astrologer being like oh my god we know that Neptune is smoke and mirror but there's all of this kind of like oh my god like can could this be true or you know these reality being mirrored 
but then a very sort of anticlimactic fold. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I do. I love Jupiter and Aries. I have this year for me when Jupiter entered Aries, I really, really liked it. And I did feel like Jupiter and Pisces was a bit of a wet blanket, kind of like, <laughs> yeah. but what I'm seeing is that Jupiter and Pisces will rule the Sagittarian season. So we're really going to get, I think, uh, further ahead with some of the dreams or potential that was being mirrored at the beginning. And it, I think it does tie in, you know, January, February, March, April with the end of the year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, you know, my experience of that juicy, juicy eclipse, quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and only it, on it, paper. Yeah, it was a mixed bag. <laughs> it was a mixed bag. Um, my, my mom passed away a few weeks before that eclipse. So there was, there was, that was a challenging part of it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the silver lining in that, uh eclipse for me was that we were able to purchase the home that we've lived in for like over a decade yeah. um, a really old house and became homeowners for the first time which was a dream that we've had for a long time now i can i i really you know i really relate to your experience of like the the bubble bursting <laughs> a little bit because after the the dream was achieved the reality set in of like, oh, wow, this house is very old. It needs a lot of repairs. It's a lot yeah. of work maintaining a house. Um, yeah. We we share this house with another um, tenant downstairs. So there's also, you know, <laughs> the challenges that go with that relationship as well. Yep. So I, I wonder if we may be reviewing the actual dream itself around yeah. this period of time and saying, well, what actually is our new dream now that we've gotten a taste of what the living the dream is like and taking action in it yeah maybe we're like well how do we adjust our vision moving forward right yeah wow that's a lot <laughs> yeah that's yeah for me i think you know at that time in the spring uh, i got covid and it really uh, immobilized me um so that was my whole experience of jupiter and pisces i felt like really uh not able to pursue anything i kind of lost faith as opposed to having faith mm. um but with jupiter and pisces again with the astrology that's happening right now it will really depend on people's personal relationship to the nodes in their chart to jupiter to saturn i don't think all of the players play will transpire in everybody's life on the same level yeah. um i'm not a jupiterian person i have jupiter and virgo and i have saturn with my son so you know dreams and fantasy i'm I, i'll just burst your bubble right away <laughs> <laughs> i'm like my first answer is always like no that's not gonna work <laughs> yeah so you're, you're a fellow uh, jupiter jupiter virgo i'm a jupiter virgo yeah. um, but i do associate with people who have strong Jupiter, Jupiterian sure. energy as a remedial measure, because right. it really helps me uh, kind of see the potential and say yes. Yeah. With Jupiter is saying yes. But yeah, there might have been premature yes uh, yeah. at the beginning of the year where we're going to have the opportunity to revisit that and maybe sort of tie the, the bow. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I think it will be. Um, 
an interesting Sagittarius season because of that Mars in Gemini retrograde and then Jupiter back in Pisces will be very an influx of mutable energy, which is again transitional, you know, flux, yeah. things in flux. Yeah, and we've got some folks in the chat that are um, asking about the socio political state of the world and some of the challenges and the conflicts that are happening around the world and mm -hmm. does astrology see anything around that um i guess what are your thoughts about that how can astrology predict something like that even what do you think absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean mundane astrology is, uh, is exceptional at looking at bigger trends and there's a lot of different ways of looking at the cycles that we find ourselves in the first one, if we go the furthest, is that Saturn and Jupiter are now having their conjunction in air signs for the next 200 years. Right. You know, although one happened in the 1980s, it officially began uh, 2020, uh, you know, signaling the beginning of the air period. So we're really moving from an Earth period to an air period, which nobody of that is alive has experienced. So there is something very transitional about that. Yeah. Um, well, and we're, yeah. And, and this is something I think that astrologers in our community have been talking about a lot, the, the conjunction between uh, Saturn and Jupiter and what that means for our, our social expectations moving forward and how yeah. we organize society. And I think that, um, while I hate the word, the new normal. I don't, <laughs> it irritates me every time I hear it. Um, but I do think that there is a, a need right now to change the expectations that we have of how we organize our, our societies. A hundred percent. And I think that we're, what we're dealing with now is that it's, we're so, we're in such the nascent stages of that, the beginning yep. stages that it's very disorienting. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people want to hang on to the old way because that's what they've known for literally a few hundred years <laughs> like right exactly and um i think that that's <laughs> that's something astrology has taught me is that our our small experiences of life are they're they're part of these larger cyclical movements and what seems like it's taking a long time is just a blink of an eye as far as the universe is concerned right um, and that's why the, the concept of instant versus delayed gratification is, is actually so important because you're not going to rush a planet, especially Saturn. <laughs> you're not going to rush Saturn. And if you do, that's when you get the, the, the grand cosmic no or running into the, the brick wall, so to speak, is it's going to go on its own time. And I don't know. So, so maybe we're venturing off into some philosophical territory here, but I want to hear your thoughts, Elodie, as to what do you think that the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction is asking of us as a as a community moving forward versus the the previous Earth age? Um, well, that's a huge question, but I do think it's good to get familiar with what air periods looked like in the past. Mm -hmm. familiarize yourself with that experience because it will help you contextualize what's happening right now yeah. um in terms of air we're talking about exchange of ideas we're talking about horizontal networks as opposed as opposed to hierarchical 
structures that we've seen in the Earth era. Um, I think now there's a democratization of language, like with astrology, how it's, you know, everybody's speaking astrology suddenly. That's a real sort of air period phenomenon that we're seeing, like everybody's utilizing astrology as opposed to, and that's the whole other question in an astrological circle that's happening is like, you know, how can you be an astrologer if everybody speaks astrology? It's more on its way to being a language. So with the air if you think about the air modality, it's a lot more about information and networking and community and exchange and concepts and ideas. That's a huge uh, sort of shift that we're going to see. For example, how um, people went downtown in office building to work and now everybody's working from home. So it removes the need to have office building industrial sort of um, neighborhoods because and then people are going to transform that into green space or other things because there's just no more need for office building. I think that's a phenomenon of the beginning of the air period. Yeah. Um, sure. The biggest one that we haven't seen in previous air period uh, is the advent of AI. Okay. And I do think that's going to be a real sort of, we're already using our phone like it's an extension of ourselves. That's been sort of, push so so fast uh i didn't have a cell phone in 2011 and now i'm just like constantly plugged in it's my reminder it's my calendar it's my yeah. everything <laughs> uh so ai is replacing a lot of what humans used to do so what does that mean for us also so i do think that's some of the air air period stuff um when i looked up in the past i i, I got on a kick of looking at the literature that was being written in previous air period and just compiling the literature that was written in air period. And it seems to be actually a period of uh, synthesizing and taking from separate pieces as opposed to real kind of novel work emerging. It yeah. seems to be like, oh, like you were saying, like, you know, people are, you go online, you put it online. It's not yours anymore. People will just grab and then construct their whole kind of thing and then it disappears and it's all symptomatic i think of the air period and accepting a part of that but also maybe thinking about how we can support each other and have these networks and community and accept that it's not so individualistic anymore mm. so yeah <laughs> no I'm, yeah no i'm just i'm just taking it all in and uh I, I love asking the big questions to yeah. people that come on because it's um, sometimes my uh, Virgo stellium can get very granular and I love like pu pulling pulling out to that bigger picture sometimes. Yes, I, I, I like that. And I, I my my first reflection on, on that is seeing the release of a need to possess, right? Yeah. And and maybe earth being very like possessive on that level, but also that ideas are not individual ideas, they're collective ideas and how they can uh, be shared with one another. I think that this is maybe one of the best lessons of the air age is how do we share, <laughs> right? Like how do we learn to share? And the longer you're gonna hold on to my house, my my land, right. my the cost yeah. of food was so much better, the longer you hold on to all of these frameworks, 
the more it's going to be difficult to transition. Yes. It's more about finding solution. We know that there's inflation. We know that we're in a state of flux. We know things are changing. We're not sure about the economy, war, all of this. That's a lot part of this decade, as we know as astrologer also. Yeah. But the more we uh, unite, because that's the thing, is we are part of this whole, and that's the awareness of, I think, the networking part, and how can we well, and that brings me back to what was going on in the chat here as far as there was questions about escalation of conflict in Europe, potentially. And I think that what you just said speaks to seeing a, and maybe the old guard or an old regime thinking of it in terms of my, my land, my resources, my this, and how that can lead to suffering. I yeah. mean, I think that this is what I, how I see it is that when a need for change presents itself, the suffering comes when you are trying to remain attached to the old way that is, that is no longer vital. And that, that, that brings me full circle with this eclipse, Elodie. To me, the essence of Scorpio is how do we release forms that are no longer providing vitality so that we can liberate essence to, to find a, a true expression of our authenticity now, not just in you know what we wish it to be. Because there's a lot of themes in the Scorpio Deccans that talk about nostalgia as well, as far as like glamorizing something that has already started to decay. Yeah. And and to me that that is we're seeing that right now on a global scale. Is there are certain you know global players, political players that are glamorizing an old system where they were able to oppress others for their own individual gain, right? And how do we disperse that those resources in a more fair and equitable way for the survival of everyone, really? Because these individuals that have consolidated wealth really are destroying the planet in the process, correct? Yeah, and the internet and our instant connection makes us a lot more aware of that and the yeah. disparities between uh, rich and poor yeah. also because we're yes. rubbing shoulders with all sorts of people on social media. There's no distinction yes. when you're entering the Instagram realm or TikTok realm. There's no more distinction. So some people will be extremely privileged, you know, and others not. And so I think this awareness will eventually kind of hopefully, you know, uh, monopolize people and like if people are doing things, I think, and it's, a, it's, com it's very complex. In terms of shorter timeline, looking at this Mars and Gemini, I think um, I'm more concerned about Mars entering cancer <laughs> sure, sure. in terms of escalated sort of uh, crisis or potential things because we know Mars in cancer does not do very well so right. in terms of escalating conflict i don't see the mars retrograde period so much as that as potentially mars entering cancer you know jupiter being in aries and then the eclipses starting happening in aries that's going to yes. be pretty volatile spicy yeah so and, in terms of like actually seeing well in mars you know from a lot of the traditional literature i've read when mars is in is ill-dignified, it tends to act slightly less predictably, right? Yeah. According to some of these ancient authors. So maybe there will be a less predictable, you know, conflict uh, on some level. 
so, and, so oh, go ahead go ahead sorry i just wanted to say also in terms of other forecasting models like uh, for political and worldwide wild trend outside of the astrology they're all saying the same thing we're in a period of change and yeah. flux and the the faster you sort of make peace with that the more uh able you'll be to navigate the experience and yeah i just wanted to, to mention that because it doesn't look you know maybe 20 late 20 uh, 27 28 will be but there's a lot of forecasting models showing like unrest and and problems so here's my next question for you Elodie. how as people who are trying to live everyday lives how do we deal and with this type of macrocosmic change and maintain our ability to to function in a healthy way um i think you said it earlier i think like being selective about where you put your attention that's really really important because one thing with the online experience is our body doesn't make the difference between what you're just looking at versus are you living it and experiencing it so that creates a lot of stress and tension in the body so even what you're putting your attention on really matters even more so now than ever i'm really careful with images because we're seeing so many images yeah. and images are powerful Absolutely. as anybody that practice astrological magic and image magic knows images are very potent and if we're exposing ourselves, and it's very compulsive we're exposing ourselves to a lot of different truths a lot of different reality um so yeah i would say definitely just being extremely selective with what you want to place what kind of image you want to place inside your temple <laughs> well and also i think piggybacking off of that words also are spells yes yeah you know? absolutely exactly and what do you want to speak into existence and I, i'm not uh so uh idealistic that i think that you know we can avoid every single negative thing by just you know thinking positively. I think that is slight, a slightly naive perspective. But at the same time, I do think that there is power in putting the energy, words and images of of what you would like to see, you know, of, of optimism <clears throat> yes. and hope. And I think that you can add to the destruction and degradation and pain and suffering by falling prey to your fear and your, you know, I don't know. I mean, and is, this is like a fine line because people yeah. could also say you're pe you're putting your head in the sand and you're ignoring important issues. Absolutely. And Absolutely. so, but again, I do think one of the Mars power when we speak about Mars powers is about uh, the ability to be single-minded and focused. So you can't save all of the animals in the meat industry while saving the people that are victim of wars while saving yourself while saving yeah. your neighbor while you just there's that's not possible even though we're, we're constantly sort of plugged into all of these realms yeah. um one of the cool thing about air period that i've been conceptualizing is energizing the reality that i want and not in a way that de-responsibilized me of my human role right. but I also choose to be of service with my work, with what I do, with, uh, you know, and that's that's sort of my path. It's just I'm compelled to do that and, and the choices that I make, but I don't expect 
myself to be doing everything on all fronts. So when you're participating with your mind, with the information, that's not necessarily changing the situation. Sure. So it's not putting your head in the sand. I, I like that. I like the fact that we don't have to carry the torch for every single challenge. There may be something that we're called to do that is really important, that we have a certain skill set to be able to affect change in. I also like the fact that you're talking about personal responsibility as far as, and I think this comes along with acknowledging that it is a privilege to ignore someone's suffering on some level as well. And we, we don't want to fall into that trap of, you know, utilizing our privilege to just say, oh, everything's fine. <laughs> right? So Absolutely. No, yeah. and that's not what I'm saying. But I yeah. do think if matter, if matter is made of vibration, and you're yeah. constantly vibrating to the disaster and everything yes. that is going bad in the world, that just expands. It just like you said, it just expands. So yeah, it's a fine line between being like peace and love, like nothing bad is happening versus, you know, acknowledging what's happening. But again, you're damaging yourself if you're exposing yourself 24 seven to the world, through the internet, through the images. Yeah. I think it's just you're only you're not going to be in a position where you're grounded enough to help. <laughs> yeah, put put your oxygen mask on first, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And and you know, spoken with true Libra balance. I, I also, I will I will point out. I love that. Um, <gasps> Because I, I, I really appreciate finding a balanced and temper, tempered way to, to live within the world. And I do also believe that, if, that when we are experiencing chaos, calming ourselves can actually help us to make better decisions in that moment rather than panic, right? Rather than, than falling prey to the, the overwhelm that could cause you to take an action that that might be even more detrimental or add to the the crisis situation. So I'm a big yeah. fan of trying to compose yourself in these times. And I think that being selective, as you've been pointing out very astutely the whole time is, is a great step in that direction. And also, I do think that the human condition, if you, you know, if you refer to spiritual texts and spiritual tradition, they always say the same thing, like the human experience, we, we think we're reinventing the will or living this experience for the first time. But, you know, uh, we've been around for a really long time and suffering has yeah. been around for a really long time. And I do for think sure. that <laughs> that's right. spirit, but that's the purpose of of the spiritual tradition and faith uh, also to kind of return us to the essential of our human experience. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, okay. Elodie. Wow. We're going down some very interesting paths today. Uh, <laughs> I just, eclipse. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I'm, I very much appreciate the power of your intellect and your, very balanced approach to all of these issues. Um, I'm a little bit envious of the time and space and silence that you have uh, <laughs> in your off-grid lifestyle. And hopefully maybe someday I'll be able to cultivate that same level of uh, peace. <laughs> I don't, uh, I, I do not have a peaceful lifestyle. I'm no. just going to, no, <laughs> okay. I'm going to remove that, that glamorous. Yeah, do it. R remove the illusion for us. Tell the us the illusion. reality of it. 
Yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, yeah. absolutely not. I'm contending with modern reality as everybody. I mean, I'm off grid, but off grid just means there's more things to do. I have to cut yeah. wood. I have to heat my all winter. We have to heat. We don't have, we can't just turn on the thermostat. Yeah. Um, so we're preparing the wood and all of this. So it actually just adds a lot more to the to-do list. And I'm still yeah. functioning as a modern individual in sure. society. So. <laughs> well, it's good to, to, to remove those illusions and those romantic romanticization romanticizations. I don't even know what, yeah. what's, how many syllables it's are in that word. <laughs> not peaceful. It's not peaceful. And I have yeah. relationships and I have drama, like lots of it. I'm Scorpio yeah. rising. <laughs> okay. Well, then it's just the strength of your character. Then it's not even just the situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Elodie, let's let's do a couple more things here and then we'll we'll wrap for the day. Sound good? Yep. So I want to just just touch real quick on just a few other things. Um I like to look at the square of the moon and then just give people a little bit of a preview of the full moon. Okay. So here we have the square. Whoops. Is this squaring? What's going on? That. Yeah, so the first quarter after the yeah. eclipse. Yeah, I'm trying first to. First quarter moon. Moon square sun. My program's doing weird things. So this this should be around here somewhere, I guess. It would be nine degree Aquarius moon, I believe. Yeah, I just don't know why it's not doing it. Sorry, it's just a <laughs> modern technical thing. <laughs> supposed to take me exactly to the square but here we, here we go there um go. there we go we've got november 1st uh we've got the square between the sun and the moon um how do you see this first quarter square playing out rudyard talks about these squares as being like a a crisis of manifestation on some level what, yeah. what are your thoughts on this aquarius moon well, so, you know, the time between two eclipses, as any good astrologer that know their eclipses, yeah. <laughs> uh, the time between two eclipses are, are usually sort of seen as a liminal time. So I'm wondering about this because we're talking about the fixed angle, fixed T-square. We have, yeah. you know, the moon and Saturn signs. So all of the lesson that's been happening in the fixed signs, you know, are... <laughs> Are going to be really exaggerated with this eclipse cycle um fun, continuing fun, fun for us right with the well yeah and it, <laughs> when we delineate yeah. things like this always yeah. i say this is not going to translate for everybody on the same in the yeah. same way and sometimes really surprising things come out of the pressure um, yeah. of tension and stuff so t-squares obviously first quarter moon is things that are difficult to reconcile between each other because it's not just the moon squaring the sun you know yeah. the moon is squaring venus it's yeah. applying to saturn it's going to square uranus it's between two eclipses um so i would yeah i would say that it's a liminal time the, the bardo period the bar yeah, yeah definitely and although we're looking for tangible the fixed signs are looking for tangible manifestation. We know this. Mars just stationed retrograde a day before this uh, yeah. this quarter. Um, we're looking to actualize and manifest, you know. And you know what they say about manifesting during eclipses? <laughs> yeah, it is not predictable. You know, I, just a, I digress for just a second. One thing I've noticed during in the in between eclipses is that there's a lot more like uh 
strange conspiracy theories like Bigfoot and aliens and things that come out. Have you noticed this at all? I like it's like Bigfoot makes an appearance. <laughs> like, no, I didn't. I did not notice that, but yeah. I noticed like a lot of stuff with eclipses that are not. Yeah. It's, it's things comes out of left field. Right, right. And that's why for me, it, I approach eclipses as a very um, I'm rever reverence, like a sure. lot of reverence, because I do think that there's a sort of opening for a lot of things to manifest and or exit our realms. You know, it's it's and not necessarily it never necessarily plays out on eclipses or between the two eclipses. It could be much later, but they're ex the planets are um, expressing something, you know, uh, something like that like something yes well, and, and keep in mind too that these are part of larger cycles that are playing out not only in the 30-day you know yeah. lunar cycle but also like six months for eclipse to eclipse and then there's like i believe 18 year cycles that they're a part meta cycles that they're a part of yeah. as well so um we're going so mars and gemini with this <laughs> it, it does definitely be a mars and gemini talk <laughs> There's well no you know <laughs> you just have to surrender to it on some level right um uh, how do you i'm curious to hear what, yeah. how you you see this uh this first quarter between eclipses yeah so i i my brain has started to become entrained to the decans mm -hmm. and tarot so I'm I'm when I look at this first quarter, I'm looking at the five of cups energy that that period of loss that we initiated that ritualized grief. And then the moon is in a, a decan that's associated with the five of swords and the five of swords it shows an image of a conflict where one person was the victor and two figures are going off into exile in the background. And th that this deck to me speaks to a potential um, uh, go going into exile intentionally, potentially after maybe a disappointment. Maybe there's some kind of argument that you have where you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to learn to live on the fringe uh, rather than in the center, which is represented to me by, by Leo and the sun. And this deck in particular, relates to it is ruled by venus so there's there's this kind of energy of finding beauty on the fringes of society does that make sense beautiful i so, love this, uh, yeah i love the yeah. nitty-gritty delineation <laughs> of the virgo it's very insightful yeah so so i guess this 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 uh square to me is how do when we are trying to release form that isn't serving us how can we find beauty in our either our larger perspective the longer term delayed gratification and how can we find beauty in that which others have discarded as well so like i'm thinking of someone who makes beautiful art from from uh something in a junkyard it's like people yeah. that have thrown something away so if you've lost something how can you utilize what either what remains or what someone else has discarded to create something beautiful during this period of time the exile component is really important, I think. Yeah, with Aquarius. Right, with Saturn's um, yeah. domicile there. And yeah. I think the journey with Aquarius that I've found through the study of the Deccans is the whole series of cards and Deccans speaks to 
a it's it's actually kind of similar to scorpio although it's less about the body and it's more about idealism so i i feel like scorpio taurus axis is related to the recycling of forms in scorpio whereas the the aquarian axis and with leo is saying it's time to move on to a new set of idealistic blueprints that organize a society does that make sense yeah, beautiful. I love that. But it's definitely a moving on from one phase to another, um, which which is sort of fascinating to me because we think about fixed signs as being solid and stable. But my my lived experience of them is that they're they're transitional. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. weird, right? Um, okay. And then finally, I would like to ask you just to, to have some very basic, quick thoughts on what what this eclipse may be growing towards. When we get to the, the full moon eclipse, you mean, right? you mean this eclipse on our moon? Oh <laughs> our boy, our yeah. moon? We're uh, going to feel it, aren't we? Well, I do think um, I like it personally. I'm a Uranian person. So again, your uh, relationship to Uranus is going to be, uh, you know, uh, awakened. But um, it's, it's, okay, let's put it in a big, big sense. Uranus brings innovation. There's a certain restlessness to upgrade, to innovate, to do things differently that is related to our comfort zone and the risk that's needed to kind of reach that next layer of comfort. Um, The moon in Taurus does not like changing its routine. It does things (laughs) a certain way. It has its own rhythm and that rhythm cannot be disturbed. And I always say Taurus has its own time. Like Taurus time is not, modern time um it's very slow nature's time it's nature's nature's time time. seasonal yeah and it's very uh felt and that's why i was saying like my approach to my astrology practice is like i'm not gonna do things i don't feel like doing so i mean obviously like i do a lot of that because i have to pay bills but in general my whole approach is like i never wanted to go commercial i didn't want to force myself to do things because people will resonate more with my authenticity and my sort of embodied energy than me just faking my way through like the grind, you know? So that's the moon in Taurus. So in terms of that whole process with Uranus, because that's the thing is this full moon is joined with Uranus. So we can't even remove Uranus from the equation. It's a lot of restlessness for the, stagnation and the need to kind of move out of stagnating patterns or stagnated stagnating modes of being that's kind of how i see it yeah and you're not you're not uh you're not lying about the liking the routine (laughs) with that taurus mood I, i there's nothing that disturbs my equilibrium worse than uh an un, unexpected like uh, <laughs> event happening during my day. Right? Uh-huh. I train myself <laughs> so much all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm born with Uranus opposing the moon. Probably you are too. I am too. Yes. And sure. so this balance of needing to have grounded, gr- like really grounded embodied experience and, you know, like things take time, like don't get at me. I'll get to it. And it's just kind of like, one step in front of the other and the uranian thing is literally like what i was saying about martial art is this ability to stay grounded amidst 
the million things that are being thrown at you right. and just returning to center, returning to center. <laughs> <laughs> it's a daily practice, isn't it? It's a, you know, it's something that it's ritual, you know, re returning to center. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the other, How do you see it? yeah, just the, I guess the other thing I can add to that, I, I, I love the fact that you're talking about the disruption of, of maybe crystallized routines that may have become a rut on some yeah. level, right? Yeah. So how do we get out of our ruts at this full moon? This, to me, when I look at lunations, the sun is always shining a light on something that is coming to awareness as a collective. And in that second decade of Scorpio, that's a six of cups kind of energy. And, and to me, that is a, a, an ideal, it's a nostalgic card. It's an idealization of a, a form that once provided us with, um, with support and it's also an emerging decan where we are, you know, Austin talks about it as distillation. So think about it as you're, you're coming back together with some, like a lover from the past or something, but not permanently. It is not a permanent reconciliation. It is one that is related to learning everything that you possibly can squeeze out of it, like you're squeezing the, and fermenting the alcohol out of grapes. And then you're, you're the, what is left over is the, the, the wine of wisdom, but the grapes need to be discarded. Does that make sense? The, the wine is the, the experience. I love and that. So I, I think that we're also going to have a Mercury Kazemi uh, very yeah. shortly after that. Mm -hmm. So there may be some new awareness of how you merge with others uh, emotionally and, and as far as like how you're going to need to distill that experience. And then the other thing I think could happen with this, and I, I'm, I'm actually seeing some things in my own life um, that could be speaking to this, is the second decan of Taurus, where our moons are, is related to the six of pentacles. And in it, there is a figure that is giving out charity or alms or is a benefactor for those that are, are falling on hard times. I think there's a possibility with this that there is an unexpected benefactor that shows up potentially or that okay. there's right exactly like so I, I was thinking about this in context of like i've been having some issues with student loan forgiveness and i could and there was some laws that were changed that disqualified me and maybe at this eclipse i'm requalified and i there's the benefactor that allows me to move forward from some debt you know i also have a there's also a situation in my life where there may be an, an unexpected benefit from uh that has come from my mom's passing. There was a, a, something in regards to uh, my grandfather who passed actually two weeks after her, that there might be something involved with that. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe there's something in regards to that, you know, like, so I, I would keep your eyes peeled for unexpected sources of, of benefit. And it may be materially, it may, it may be emotionally, but um, that's part of what I think could be a factor with this. I'm actually much more hopeful about this eclipse than I am about Same. the <laughs> the new moon one i think Absolutely. New, i think the new moon one's going to be kind of painful a little bit yeah um i think this one could be a lot more supportive um, i feel i feel as i have the same feeling about it yeah because mm -hmm. you know the moon's exalted here the moon's a lot happier and even though it's being disrupted it may be an unexpected good thing that comes out of it right yeah and i do think it it brings an into because full moon are a culmination process although this is an eclipse there is it pings uranus and then it will ping saturn so it does bring integration in regards to what these two planets have been sort of 
uh, working on for the last year and a half, you know, yeah. wherever Saturn Aquarius is, Uranus, it, it, in, I do think there's a period of integration in my personal life. I have issues with my neck and yeah. this scenario, Saturn squaring moon Uranus has actually brought, uh, like, uh, treatment for my neck. So I'm, I'm actually getting treated for my like healing, uh, long time neck injury that I have. Um, sure. And I could have never, ever predicted that looking at Saturn square moon. So there is always sort of um, like the benefactor thing that you're talking about with the tarot card. I do think that Saturn also brings uh, integration and rewards. Like it's just moving direct again. So weird for me to say that Saturn brings <laughs> right. rewards. I know. <laughs> it does but, though. It does. But it does in the long run. Over time. Over been, time. Yeah, especially if you've been applying yourself to, you know, uh, figure out things. And I mean, I think it rewards mature action over time, right? Yeah, it's to me all those solar planets, you know, Saturn, Jupiter, and, and whatnot, are they reward action like in merit, but Saturn is the one that is rewarding it from like doing the hard you know, realistic, dirty work. And yeah. and that's another great point about this eclipse is that, you know, Saturn is T-squaring this, this eclipse. But so, it's still, yeah. I don't get a bad vibe from it right. either. I, don't either. I feel like, um, yeah, and, and like I said, full moon or culmination, although, you know, Venus is now uh, in her underworld journey and she's ruling over this eclipse, this whole process of like getting rid of stagnating forms or patterns, like, and we're talking about things that are really, really lodged in, you know, sure, sure. <laughs> that are being dislodged for the benefit of your progress, Uranus. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope and pray that I can clean out my basement <laughs> it's been super cluttered for years um, that's my i hope i achieve uh, by the end of this eclipse period is a, a clean attic and basement that isn't full of junk anymore which metaphorically that can really be speaking to things that we've either repressed you know emotionally and and our hopes for the future if you study feng shui like addicts a cluttered yeah. attic can be involved with like hope and I think that removing all of the unnecessary forms, it just opens up energy. I, I really words, am a believer yeah. in that. Like Absolutely. So, okay. Elodie, I think we got through the astrological part of this. So awesome. Um, all right. So as we do on the channel here, we talk, we wrap up the show with an animal and an I Ching reading. And, uh, but before I get to those, I want to thank all of you that joined us today in the chat. Um, please, if you're if you're listening to this, do us a favor: hit the like button, subscribe to our the newsletter, support Elodie at her website ninthhouseastrology.wordpress. Yeah, but you can put .com. I've tested yeah. and it works. <laughs> okay, cool. And, and so, so support Elodie in that. Check out her talk at Astromagia. Um, and yeah, so let's let's tie a bow on this would you like to do the I Ching or the animal first what do you think animal animal okay <laughs> this animal was really fascinating to me because this is this is an animal that I work with a little bit symbolically and what I pulled for this um it, it's very it's very Scorpio animal I think I um, saw yeah I pulled the skunk which is a new one on our our channel Love it. 
There, there are animals that I pull on this channel quite regularly, but this is a brand new animal that I have not talked about. So an, a skunk is actually a fairly peaceful animal. It, it's a, I think it's a pacifist by nature. They're, they would rather just be eating tasty berries and grubs and going about their business. But the, the, one of the things that sticks out to me about the skunk is that they have a very powerful reputation and they, they, they're able to defend themselves just by how, how they look like. And, and we can kind of connect this with maybe self-esteem. Like to me, the skunk is saying, you don't need to make a big show of power. You don't need to make a big show of like, you know, like if someone's threatening you, what a skunk will do. Do you have skunks in Nova Scotia? Or not, uh, Newfoundland? Newfoundland? Newfoundland, sorry. Newfoundland. No, it's an island, so there's yeah. no porcupine, no snakes, oh, no. Okay. no skunks. Did you no. have experience with skunks in, in yes, Montreal? I grew, yeah, okay. I grew up in Quebec. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they, one, just, they just say, don't F with me. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and we have them around here in our Ypsilanti, Michigan. That we call them Ypsilanti Terriers because they're so prevalent in oh, this man. neighborhood. Okay. So one thing you'll notice about them is when you come up on them, they will actually give you warnings like they will lift their tail first they will stomp i <laughs> like wish they could do that right they'll stomp <laughs> their feet a little bit do a little dance to be like i'm watching you like i would rather they would rather not get into a confrontation because when they do actually spray it takes a while for that gland to uh restore that um pheromone or whatever it is so it, it takes a lot of energy so i would say that be very careful about spraying you know self-esteem and self-respect is really important in this sometimes you just have to be yourself and, and just by being in integrity that can drive away some of the people that are actually nuisances because a lot of times people that try to take advantage of others they're trying to find people that are that are vulnerable and if you're putting out the energy that you're vulnerable people are going to pick up on that and they're going to be like oh this is a person that i can take advantage of so if you just stay present in your integrity, you stay confident, um, I think that that can really bring the type of people that you want. The other thing I think about skunk is it's also uh, that that smell is also attracts a mate too. So it is very, it's very scorpionic as far as the so much, sex, yeah. sexuality, right? Um, I have this in, in I, I used to have a tarot deck that was related to animal symbols and you could do a spread and I have this animal in what is called the, the below position, which helps keep you connected to the earth. And what it taught me was that the energy I put out there is either going to attract people that are on my wavelength and it, and it might repel people that aren't, you know, picking up what I'm, what I'm vibing. And that's okay. I can't, you know, be on the wavelength with everybody. Right. And I think that's another lesson of skunk is that, not everyone is going to like you all the time and that's okay right yeah um, and in fact if every single person likes you you might actually not be in integrity because it's hard to please everyone right if you just be yourself you'll find the people that are you know really in alignment with you um be careful about your reputation with this animal the, the skunks have a really uh everyone knows a skunk when they see it they're like oh there's a skunk ah. <laughs> so so i think that that fits well with mars retrograde is is uh in gemini in particular is that there's a lot of potential for conflict as far as like gossip and like using words as weapons and um you don't even necessarily have to respond to any of it you can just like 
go about your business, people are going to know that you're dangerous <laughs> just by how you like look on some level. Um, and you can stamp your feet a little bit if you want. You can raise your tail, you know, and be like, fuck off <laughs> you know like i would rather not get in a fight with you <laughs> like yeah. i'd rather just be going about my business um so themes of attraction and repelling self-respect um the power of nonchalance i thought that was a really interesting part of my research with skunk is skunks they're kind of just fun loving animals if you go out and walk your talk and lighten up a little bit it's everything doesn't have to be so serious and i think that that's something skunks are kind of ridiculous animals like they when we think of them we laugh a little bit right like when we think of a bear we're like oh shit it's a bear like i don't want to i don't want to mess with that but you think of a skunk you're like oh it's a skunk like i don't want to yeah it's cute exactly um so so yes and, and steven's pointing out peppy peppy Le Pew, right where think of if you come on too strong with people that can actually repel the people that you're trying to attract as well so it's about having a balanced um, energy you don't want to leak sexual energy as well because that can be misconstrued and that can create all of its own problems as well that's very mars again just conserving yeah. power for the essential absolutely absolutely um so that any other experiences you've had with with skunks uh, well, I had skunks spraying my cats when I was young, I remember, yeah. and we give them tomato juice bat, which I think right. doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. But I think it's a perfect, actually a perfect representation of using martial, uh, your martial powers properly, which is just your power, your inherent power, which is uh, the root chakra, sexual energy and channeling it sort of in a focused way. And what you were saying about, um, you know, skunk don't want to get in a fight. I think that's actually the manifestation of a good Mars. Yeah. In people think, oh, you have Mars and Aries, like, ooh, bad, you know. But most Mars and Aries people I know are non-confrontational because sure. they just have this sense of inner security and nonchalance. They don't need, they just don't need, they don't feel threatened. Mm. Um well, you know, an aggressive bear, I would compare that to Mars and Cancer, personally. Yeah, yeah. I've worked agree. with a lot of Mars and Cancer in kitchens, yeah. and they get very flustered. So, <laughs> so yeah, I do. I think it's a great animal. Yeah, I, I like that comparison with Mars and Scorpio, because to me, that Mars and Scorpio is like, it's defending a dying life force. It's holding on with all of its energy to preserve something. And you, you don't want to you're not going to initiate a conflict if you're trying to preserve, you know, life force, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so I, I think that this, th this is a great way of saying, you don't need to start a fight, you just need to kind of like, keep an eye out, right? <laughs> and it's okay to defend yourself within reason. Um, but be very careful about how you express that and how you communicate it because words can be misconstrued at this time very easily as well. Yeah, you don't need to prove that you're powerful there you and go. everybody. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to prove yourself. This is good advice for us Leo people in the audience today. Leo Risings. Is, so that's kind of a challenge that we have sometimes. It's like, oh, are we being respected or not? And how can we um, just have that self respect, is what Skunk's talking about. Now, the, the, the hexagram was really fascinating to me. It was not what I expected. Um, oftentimes, the, the hexagram is like, oh, that's very, that's, I could see that. 
But this, I got number 13 with no changing lines, which translates to fellowship with people, joining with others, concord and community, keeping the group together. And there's a, a line that um, in one translation that I like that says, fellowship with people, even in open fields, success. It is beneficial to cross the great river. It is beneficial for the superior person to persevere. So I, I, mean, I mean, I'm feeling like this is like, if we're going through a period of ritualized mourning, grief, um, instinctual desire, you know, it is important to lean on the people in our community on some level, right? Is this, are you picking up the same vibe? From I think this? it's the lesson of Saturn and Aquarius. Yeah. Instead of feeling like you're isolated or exiled or out of the network or community, it's kind of like about realizing your place and role in you know and obviously this is for the scorpio eclipse but as we saw with the first quarter moon and you know saturn aquarius squaring the nodal axis and these eclipse um i think it fits yeah pretty pretty interesting um there's just a couple other just things that they talk about with this is finding like-minded people finding a common purpose supporting each other through the difficult times nipping problems or separatism in the bud before alienation and resentment grow. Beautiful. I, I like yeah, that. Yeah, right? very fitting. Right. So try not to let a problem get blow out of proportion. And to me, what I've found with this LED is that clear communication without making assumptions can really be helpful as mm -hmm. far as not letting a conflict blow up into something that is difficult to come back from. Um, so it, always ask questions right isn't mars and gemini saying instead yeah. of making assumptions how about asking some questions and getting clarification and seeing things from multiple perspectives potentially okay i think we did it we are <laughs> going a little over the two hour mark Beautiful. this Thank was you wonderful so having me yeah this is my pleasure and i'm i'm so glad that you were able to join me today i've been kind of watching from afar and I, I try to choose people that have some connection with the the astrology of the moment and um i'm so glad that you were able to join me today elodie thank you thank, thank you. you for showing sharing your gifts um and thank you all of you out there who joined us today and were giving some great uh comments in the chat um i really appreciate all of you i hope that we're helping to create a good community for you here as well and just uh, as as we always say on this on this channel um, it's really important. I think kindness is something that we try to cultivate here. So, and that it includes being, uh, it starts with being kind to yourself. So friends, I'm going to leave you today uh, with uh, the imploration to be kind to one another. And most of all, be kind to yourself, because I think that we can radiate that kindness from our, from our hearts and, and radiate it out into the world. And be very careful, like a skunk, what energy you put out into the world, because uh, that's how people might know you, right? And you, you can contribute fear uh, to the world, or you can contribute um, hope. And uh, I think that that's a, an important lesson around this eclipse period. So thank you again, Elodie. Find her at Ninth House Astrology um, and support her work. And I hope that we'll be able to talk again uh, sometime, okay? Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. All right, friends. Take care.